0: March 15th, 2023, we're continuing in Moren we're in Helegimal Gimal still, and we're going to continue in learning Perik Mem Aleph. Uh, briefly, it's on one side of the page, it's the beginning of Perik Mem Aleph, which is the part that we began to delve into last week. I said I'd like to, I think it's necessary to dedicate several weeks to unpacking exactly what Harambam is implying, and generally speaking, a greater understanding of his appreciation and understanding, uh, in, in his way, of Torah Sheba'al Peh. Of course, it's appropriate to the general direction that we've been setting ourselves in, with regards to understanding how in much of More haram Harambam focuses the energy and the onus of responsibility on us. To the extent that, this is what we've arrived at, the words of God, Torah, is to be interpreted, it's not a chidush per se, but it's to be interpreted by us, to the extent that, well, to a certain extent that we're going to uncover, and we already began to uncover, that Haramba might take it in a direction, and beyond a certain boundary then you may have been conditioned to, then other um, medieval and even contemporary thinkers maybe would have been prepared to do. Which means to say again... He's, uh, as he's been telling us in many of these other contexts, with the context of Kedusha and Tahara and so forth, the vision, the perspective that we're supposed to be having as human beings, as adherents to Torah and mitzvot, is such that we are, to a large extent, the creators. We are the ones who realize and bring about Kedusha. We are the ones who are affected by Tahara, its purposed For us, Lashon HaKodesh is because of the way that it influences us, and in turn, Torah, Devar Hashem, let's refer to it as such, is furthermore in the next step in that journey, as I envision it, it's for us. It's a certain vision, as we reference the Gemara in. What does that mean? How is that uh, fulfilled that it's not in the heavens? It's rather in our hands. After all, it's the word of God. So we began with the mysterious, the controversial words of Harambam over here. It's in the second paragraph. Let's just briefly return to them and then try to uh, uh, remember a little bit of what we developed last week and try to set things a little bit further in motion. The second paragraph, Haram Bam writes, Misha Hiser Ever Yehusar Ever Kamoto. You see that page 578? If a person uh, inflicted upon another uh, pain or damage to the extent that uh, they lost, the person who was uh, was injured, they lost a limb. It in turn should be for the person who did it, the person who injured him, uh, placed upon him that he loses that limb. Al <laughs> ta'asik continues, Harambam. don't get burdened by <laughs> Your mind shouldn't be burdened. <laughs> don't get uh, thrown off by the fact that we practically punish. Historically, with tashlumin, in other words, if a person pokes out the eye of another, uh, breaks off their arm, and so forth, they don't get that done back to them, as Harambam just told us from the Torah, it should be. Rather, we pay money in order to uh, deal with it. Ki matarati akhshav, says Harambam, my purpose now is latet amim lakitubim, to give reasoning for the psukim not to give reason for halakha, for practiced law. Even those, as Haram Bham, you should know, even on the practical side of matters, on the uh, normative law, I have something uh, novel in this context. I'll tell it to you, ba'alpeh. I'll tell it to you mouth to mouth, face to face. That's how he leaves it. As you might recall, Harambam's son, Rabbeinu Avraham ben Harambam, in his commentary to the Torah, cites from Rabbeinu Sa'adiaga'on, Rabbeinu Sa'adiaga'on, again, who's going on these pesukim. Harambam really is referring not only to that pasuk, but to the larger segment of pesukim there in Parashat Mishpatim, where it says, Ayin Tachat of course, that's the most famous one. It says, Rabbeinu Sa'adiaga'on, listen, technically speaking, what the Torah is telling you, that's the way it's supposed to be. But practically speaking, in reality, in real time, you and I, if we were trying to exact that sort of judgment upon a person, we wouldn't be able to pull that off. But what would happen? It's in the same spot here. It's, it's by Krat. So Why does he pick? Why does he pick? Instead of. It's an interesting question. Um, well, maybe, 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 I don't know. No, that's, uh, Does I, I'm not certain. Uh, so maybe it's just asking if we, those pesukim that I just referred to are in parashah mishpatim, firstly, the, fr- they're earlier in the Torah, it's ayin ta'chat ayin. It's easier to swallow, Yeah, giving someone a Yeah, you know, versus pulling someone's eye out. But again, if his words are that you're going to take the evir from the person, which is what Bam says, shouldn't he quote the pasuk which says ayin ta'chat as in, yeah, it this pasuk goes on to say, but it's not the part he refers to. It's also later in the Torah. Okay, interesting. I'm not certain. Rabbeinu um, Sa'di again says, practically speaking, it would be too difficult to, to do. And as a result, we revert and understand the Torah. It's kind of telling us, revert to money. Rabbeinu Avraham ben Bam says, however, but you should know, my father had a certain secret teaching on this matter, but he wouldn't reveal it unless he was in person, so neither will I, that's what he writes. Uh, so we got a little bit stuck in that, in that respect, we weren't exactly sure what direction we're being taken in. We did notice that Harambam's words in his Mishneh Torah, he says even from the Kitubim, even from the Pesukim, he of course refers to the Gemara in Maseche Bava Kamayin, source number one on the page, and the Fpedalet, where the Gemara time and again and again and again tells us that Ain Tahatayin means Mamon. And Harambam in turn says not only does it mean Mamon, not only is that our Masoret in terms of interpreting the words in such a fashion, but furthermore, and he gives a clever interpretation to how he thinks that's the proper isn't even Peshat, easy reading of the Pesukim. Those are the words he had over there, very much contradicting seemingly his words over here in the more. We mentioned as well in his Haktamah, his introduction to perusha mishnayot. Harambam furthermore makes a statement that something called Perush Mekubam Moshe Rabbeinu. We have tradition how to define words in the Torah. And as a result, as Harambam, you'll never find in these sorts of contexts any Mahloket. One of his examples, aside from Pitya Tadar, for example, <laughs> is Ayin tahatayin. Everybody knows the definition is Mamon. Anyone who disputes that is, so to speak, absolutely God wrong. What's that? Why God well, again, Rabbi kind of gave you an answer to that. Rabbi and we kind of developed this last week, says something along these lines... In the ideal sense, it should be ayin tahat ayin. So understand that. Understand what you did to the person when you poked out their eye is so severe that that's what should be done back to you. Practically speaking, it's not the way it's going to happen, but I want you to, uh, the Torah is speaking ideals and teaching lessons more, and in addition to the practical sense. The tradition, right, the tradition will tell you, don't actually do it, the words of the Torah will tell you ideals, the words of the Torah will tell you values. Yeah, that's the suggestion in that, in that respect. Um, Harambam does not necessarily, he might, Harambam might might be implying that over here. There is such an angle, several, as many of the later commentaries of Harambam. We read it, if you recall, from one of the traditional commentaries of Harambam. The only difficulty with that interpretation we have, I'm sure there are others, the only difficulty we had internally was, what's the secret then? I mean, it doesn't sound so controversial. Go ahead. Everybody. I don't think we could say that this is the ideal Ayit to take out as I think it's, again, how they understood the law of by and Hammurabi, and it's not the ideal. ideal, if we were to strive for the ideal, we would one day hope to take the guys out, but that's not at all the case here. So I, I don't, so I don't I, I, what I mean I, by you, that is, what I mean by that is either the Rabbeinu Saadiagon ideal, I think he is saying is ideal, Even in a practical sense, it's just not practical. Alternatively, when when I say ideal, I don't don't mean an ideal that will ever be achieved or should be achieved. I mean an ideal with regards to value. You should understand how severe what you did to that person is to the extent that understand, so to speak, this is what you deserve. We don't really mean you deserve that. We mean you should understand how severe it is. That's what I mean in terms of value as an ideal. Uh, so anyway, th- th- those were, again, the difficulty with suggesting that's what haram bab means, and it might not be a, a, a terribly hard uh, uh, stumbling block, block to overcome or barrier to, to circumvent is the words of Haram Bamuver, where he says there's some sort of secret I can't tell you, or I need to tell you in person. I don't know, what I just said didn't sound all that controversial. Again, that was a traditional, it was the Narboni approach with regards to the More among others. Okay, so what we began to advance last time was at the very least, the fact that the Gemara in Masechet Vava Kama, there on Dach the Pedal, it records the following. Tanya Rabi Li'ezer Omer ain tahadain Mamash. If you recall, there was one outlying opinion. It was the opinion of Rabi Li'ezer. Ayin Tachat Mamash. Because the Gemara says, Really? You mean the literal? Can't be. It goes against every one of, and again, over 10 opinions beforehand who all state unequivocally there are questions about it, but everyone says it means Mamon. Each one tries to prove it from the Pesukim. Amar Rabba says Rabba, and ultimately speaking, Rabashe explains, Ultimately speaking, the explanation is that the way we evaluate the amount you or someone who damaged, ruined another person's limb is not based on the value of the person's loss who was injured Rather, the person who injured. When he says "mama," she means, "Well, I lo alena poked at another person's eye. That person has an income which requires very little eye involvement. As a result, I didn't really hurt them financially all that much. But me, everything I do is dealing with my eyes. I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of involvement, discerning with my eyes. It's a lot more value. That's the statement in the okay. Gemara. But that's the statement in the Gemara for okay. the Be'li'ezet." No, but again, the Gemara is suggesting that, for, as Tosafot explains, for Rabili Ezer, it's so to speak, mamash. In other words, it's my eye is being extracted from me after I've hurt the person. I hurt the person, what am I paying? I'm paying my eye. That's the suggestion, but ultimately speaking, even Rabili Ezer, the Gemara says, again, it's Rav Ashi's interpretation of Rabili Ezer, can't maintain mamash. But we mm-hmm. did pay attention to the fact that as it does already give us a counter vision. He did say those words. This is an interpretation of his words. It's not his words. He said, Mamash. And we in turn began a conversation in that context of last week to understand Abili Ezer as that sort of personality with regards to his vision of Torah as you may recall, he is the opinion in Maseche Bava Mitzian, Dafnun Nuntet, who maintains that Torah is Bashamayim, it's the dispute between him and others when he's claiming I'm right because the heavenly voice came out and declared that I'm right. He was excommunicated for that. He was Shamutir, Ibi <shamutim>. So he spent a lot of time developing that from many Midrashim and many statements in the Gemara. Among others, he was excommunicated and ultimately speaking was known as Shammuti, maybe because of that excommunication According to Rashi in Nida, he was Shamuti. He was, alternatively, according to Tosafoti, Shamuti, based on Talmud Yerushalmi, because he was of the opinion like Bechamai. Both Bechamai and Rabbilia Eze seem to see Torah in that heavenly sphere. They envision it more in the ideal realm as opposed to the real and practical. So we developed that and we talked about that. I want to keep the as a vision alive. I want to understand and continue to realize as it does stand in as an opinion which does touch on a certain truth. B'et Shamayim Betile, the Gimarat, the beginning of Mas'ichat Eruvin, and Dafyot Bet says, Elovai Elohim Haim, they'll both have opinions which can be claimed and explained to be true, even if they're conflicting one against the other. The statement, however, is there is truth to each of them. So Rebili Aiza, we're not discrediting per se. Torah b'shamayim might not be practically how you and I will involve ourselves in interpreting the Torah and in in turn doing and practicing Halacha. but there is something to be said for the Aiza Eze b'shamayim approach to the extent that at the very end of the class, we quoted in turn from these mystical traditions from Arizal and others that in Ahari Tayamim, end of days, when we're living, so to speak, The ideal life, at least conceptually, will follow Beit Would you know it? Of course we would. That's the ideal world. It's no longer a world like you and I know it. And as a result, we won't any longer settle for or maintain an interpretation based on our terminology, but rather, so to speak, on the divine, ideal platform and level uh, domain of interpretation. Okay, that's what we discussed. I want to keep that all in mind as we a little bit take major steps forward to try to interpret, try to suggest an interpretation to what these words are of Harambam. There's something I want you to know, which is, sounds like important, but I have to tell it to you face to face, and there's something controversial beyond anything that you and I maybe have discussed until now. For that, in order to introduce that, I'd like to go later in this chapter, later in Perik Khmeim Aleph, it's on the other side of the page, Of the More on page 585. In this context, later in the chapter, I'm going to go to the third paragraph on the page over there. He says, okay, we've dealt with his final Sefer and Mishne Torah, and we've dealt with much, many of the primary and fundamental uh, details. I'd like to now pinpoint, says Haram several specifics, and it will in turn uh, give flavor and, uh, and color to this book. We'll be able to, uh, in other words, paint it through a philosophical lens. And as I do so, I will tell you the following, says Halambam, Omer ani, be ma le mamre He says, I'm going to tell you something that's relevant to zaken-mamre. Zaken-mamre is a, is, a, is a segment in the Torah, which the rabbis elaborate upon in Masechet Sanhedrin. Effectively, without all the details, it's an individual who disputes um, purposefully the Bet-Din the Sanhedrin. On whatever the context is. Again, the rabbis detail the specifics in Masechet Sanhedrin, but he disputes them death penalty for doing so. In other words, not only disagreeing in, in, in theory, but actually practicing or instructing others to go against the interpretation of the Torah as per the Sanhedrin. Okay, that's who Zaken Mamre is, says haz'ot, <speaking in Hebrew> Says Rambam, God in his infinite knowledge, was and is well aware that over the course of time, Torah will need to maintain its relevancy. Um, that is, in context of whatever generation, whatever place, whatever coordinates of life. The people of that generation find themselves in shoni Amikomot, different places, iruim, happenings, hadashim, ulenisibot, and any of the every occurrences and 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 life causes that may happen in a natural or human fashion. As a result, the Torah, so to speak, we would find in it a necessity to adjust. Those are his words: we'd imagine we'd have to add on or take away that's what it says to add on or take away Says it's for that reason that God says I know you're understanding my principle here I know you appreciate my Torah you want to keep it forever relevant but dangerous and as a result you can't add on and you can't take away Understand that. Why would God say so? Uh, we want to keep it relevant. That would in turn lead you and me to be confused. We'd have all sorts of wrong interpretation. We'd say, oh, the Torah is not divine. Oh, you see, because this mitzvah was novelty of that guy, and so the rest of it was not divine as well. It was, so to speak, God's way of keeping things straight by saying no additions, no subtractions. Go ahead, What is the Lines before. He says you do. He says that, that since God knows that the Torah needs to stay relevant, and in turn you and I would say that we need to take away or add. He says uh, that's why he tells you not to. However, with that, meaning he warned us, don't add, don't take away. He did allow for the rabbis of each generation, the leader, leaders and rabbis of each generation, knowledgeable people of each generation, kilomar labetin hagadol, specifically Sanhedrin. Supreme Court of Judaism. La Asotsia Gim Lidinei Torah El Kedel Ishmor Al Yitzibutam B'Dvarim She Hadeshu Al Derech Ihu Ishaver Un La Hantiyahsiagim El Ve Asotsia Glah Torah. The rabbis were the Sanhedrin. More specifically, was handed the power, the power, the authority, the responsibility. To build gates for the Torah, to interpret the circumstances and situation accordingly, and in turn to uh, to inject necessary precautions as they see fit. Ken lehishaot and circumstantially, this is what we call the rabbis, the authority of Sanhedrin is given to, based on pressing circumstance, even subtract from Torah. There were a word times. I can't say there will I imagine there will be times with Sanhedrin where it will be necessary based on Hora Achaa, based on the circumstance of the situation, God grants authority, where it's found in the Torah, separate conversation, but that's our tradition, to even circumstantially subtract Aval. And Hansiahzot, however, that can't be eternalized as we already discussed and explained, this isn't an eternal enactment, by the rabbis and Sanhedrin, appropriately safeguarding, determining, deciding, the Torah will keep its unified nature. They will accordingly be able to um, uphold Torah in all cases, all circumstances, all times and places. He goes on and he says, "Aval, you should know." God quite. Clearly, in his infinite wisdom, was aware this power is granted only to Sanhedrin because otherwise it would lead to division. We'd get into wars one with the other. You interpret it that way, I interpret it otherwise. That, in turn, is the understanding and the foundation of this concept of Zaken Mamre, who gets put to death for his dispute with Sanhedrin. Okay, that being the case, if we were to, if I were to give a heading to this paragraph of Bam, yes, his specifics are in the context, is in the context of Zaken Mamre, but really what he's describing to us is, so to speak, the responsibility to, I hate to use this word, sounds a little too modern, but it's true, to keep the Torah relevant. Those, that's what he says. To the extent that he says you would be right, but wrong in the practical sense, to add or subtract. Don't do it because you'll then confuse others. Instead, do it based on the authority of Sanhedrin. Really, you and I should be doing it as well for our communities, but that would bring to Mahlokit it means the primary or a primary responsibility of the supreme authority and leadership of the nation is to keep the torah and so forth that's that's his description he didn't bring this further than what i just described he kept it very traditional well, rabbis have sanhedrin specifically has the power for siag for the suggestion it's not per se mine but at the end of class last week ab predicted where we were going to go with this already the suggestion of some and we're going to specifically build it based on this book written by rabbi amnon bazak it's translated into english now it's but in hebrew it's ad hayom hazeh in english it's called to this very day and in this book there's a good eight ten pages on this segment of haram to try to give a an interpretation a suggestion for what that, again, that secretive notion uh, that he wanted to say or he would tell you face-to-face with regards to the interpretation of ayn tachat ayin tahat Okay, so we're trying to, let me just catch us up today. We have that difficult passage to interpret of ain tahat We have furthermore responsibility in the same chapter of the Sanhedrin and to a certain extent, although not practically, each of us to keep the Torah in line with every generation to keep it up to date with regards to, we'll go further, ethics, morality, and so forth. Okay, that being the case, I want to now take one or two steps forward. The one or two steps forward first is to take a look at source number three. For, source number three is a source that, again, each of these sources are cited either in footnotes or in the text of this book, again, Ad Hayom Hazet. Many of them well-known from other places and other contexts, but he puts it all together in a beautiful fashion. It will be the class this week we do have more to say about it, but this next source is from a, from a collection of Midrashim known as Midrash Lekah alternatively known as Pesik, Pesikta Zutreta. Here, it has the following statement, Ain the initial statement here in the Midrash has developed is Mamon, that's the interpretation, that's what we saw in the Gemara in Bava Then, the Bili oh, that's our person. Bili Ezer Omer, Latet Bomum. <speaking in Hebrew> you can't reinterpret these words, or anyone else in the Gemara, Abaye. Now that's not to say, per se, we don't have two traditions under Belizeh but it's explicit here. We did find an opinion, no surprise that it's the Ezer, who black on white says, ayin tahadayin means mamash. This is not Avi Harari telling you that's how we're poseek or that's anything. It does mean that Somewhat contrary to the words of Haran Bam in his introduction to Perusha Mishnayot, that you'll never find on this sort of matter any machloket. We kind of did. Maybe he'll discredit this and say this is not a true midrash. He has the authority a lot more than me to determine something of that sort. I'm not sure exactly what his angle would be in doing so, but it's significant. We found Haran Bam. What we found here, and, and he'll do that from time to time, if something seems to him, you know, based on his knowledge, not to fit into the larger segment of, of, of thought and of halacha. But that's what we did find. So that's already very significant. It means there is such a thought out there. It means that, so to speak, it's not taboo. It means that we read the words of Bam here in the Moreh. It's not as jarring as it appeared last week when we said, all the opinions of the Geva are going to be the answer. There is such an opinion. A step further, or linear, st- you know, the side step for a moment, in the commentary, this is cited by Rabbi Bazak, in the commentary of Rabbi Perla, that's Rabbi Yeruchim Fishel Perla, who wrote a commentary to Rabbeinu Sa'ad Yaga on Sefer HaMitzvot, he suggests maybe, and I, I, it's important to be mentioned, but we don't need to subscribe to this per se, he says maybe even this Midrash doesn't negate our Gemara. Maybe even this midrash is Rabbi Ali telling you listen, it really should be your eye. But, so to speak, the way the Torah speaks out that concept of kofir, you could pay it off with money. If for whatever reason money is not an availability, we're going to go after your eye. Mm-hmm. And those, so that is further than we saw in our Gemara. Our Gemara, even according to Tosafot, even on ultimately speaking, he never actually taken the eye. Uh, the possibility is there. Even if you diminish it a little bit, you, blemish, you, you diminish the, the, the blow of Rabbi Ezar a little bit with Rabbi Perla, the point is still there in interpretation to the Torah in that, so to speak, literal Hammurabi code sense, uh, is, is out there. It's no surprise again that it's Rabbi Li that so to speak Torah Min HaShamayim individual rabbi, uh, but that's already significant for us. Another step forward. The next step forward is from source number five. Source number five is a book called Dor Rivi'i. It's an interesting name to a book, Fourth Generation. This was a fourth generation, uh, great-grandson of a rabbi, who was Hatam Sofer. B. Moshe Sofer was a rabbi in Eastern uh, Europe in uh, a place called uh, Pressburg. Um, And this grandson, in turn, was a Kloisenberger Hasid from Hungary. However, and here's the interesting part, not for our class, but it's good to know. and It's important to research and look look into other writings of his and his biography. He was a staunch and, and very serious, Zionist, and as a result, he was ostracized. From all of his, so to speak, brethren, because in the Hasidic world, in the Hungarian world, they were anti-Hasidim through and through. To be a Zion, uh, anti uh, Zionism, to be a Zionist in that world was very controversial. He makes his way to Israel, and he was defended to a certain extent by the author of the next source, Ralph Cook, um, as we might understand. But that's important just to note and to know about him. It's not going to affect per se anything he writes over here. I was first introduced both to this passage. And and to the personality from Rabbi Hershel Schechter of Yeshiva University. In his introduction, and for our purposes, this is what we're gonna suffice with, to his book on Masechet Hulin, he just questions. He says, that claim of Harambam, that ayin to Ayin cannot and will not be interpreted in any way other than money, who said? Uh, maybe not. Maybe there's an indifferent interpretation. Maybe there has been mahluk, a dispute about how to interpret this over the generations. Kasheli Tuva says, I just don't understand. I mean, he's opening his mouth and just asking a simple question. Which, and he- Kid could have asked. I mean, he has the authority to play, or, or the audacity to write it and to to to, to support it and set it, set it forth. But the question—it's an innocent question. De Who said? How did the Haran know? De yudanin min mamash? How do you know there was never a dispute about this? That nobody ever held or no generation, more specifically, ever maintained that it meant actual eye for an eye. Haram B'am himself is aware that when it's a derasha, when it's an interpretation, not so much a tradition, there is authority to each Sanhedrin to interpret accordingly. So that, that's to a certain extent the question. Who said that this is something that was undisputed at any point? Okay, with this we make it to the critical point. We make it to the apex of the class. And that is this letter from Rav Cook. We have much more to say about this, but for tonight we'll have to suffice with this letter of Rav Cook. Rav Cook applies this principle, which we're about to read about in several other contexts. Um, we Probably will, or at the very least, possibly will address one or two of them in coming weeks. But here in source number six, in Igerotara'aya, that's the letters of Rav Cook, Rabbi Avraham Yitzhak HaKohen uh, Kook, um, he has the following here in Igeret Sadi. says, First and foremost, To summarize this, his words are always, less so even here, but always flowery in their Hebrew. But um, they're also very lofty in terms of their spiritual perception. The suggestion here, and... I happen to subscribe to all of it. Even if you subscribe partially, you'll already, you know, you're on your way to to, to the interpretation, the ultimate uh, application over here. His suggestion goes like this: the Torah was handed to us with a divine aspect, which meant that it had, so to speak, packed into its words the capability, in a true and real way, to inter- interpret it according to the ethics and morality and reality of every generation. Let me repeat. The Torah, each and every one of its words and each and every one of its concepts, when dictated, so to speak, from God to Moshe, when handed to us, when accepted by the nation, had inherent To its nature, the capability, the divine and infinite potential to be interpreted based on, and so to speak, plugged into it based on every generation's reality. (coughs) What? Rav Kook will say only with Sanhedrin and only when you're in the land of Israel. AB asked, this first sentence was quite bold. It says, every, every generation has the ability to interpret it. Oh, he said, even without a Sanhedrin. He says, Well, wait, wait. at the end, he gets very, very nervous about that. He makes her, Rahman alayhislam. Heaven forbid you would say that. Okay, therefore, <speaking in Hebrew> He says, You know something? You're not going to actually reveal the relevancy to your generation and the truth that's inherent to your time period, unless the entirety of the nation is in the land of Israel. This is Rav Kook at his best, envisioning the land of Israel in some sort of we might give it a psychological of course. We might give it a psychological dimension as we did in Harambam in the past. He'll probably give it a metaphysical dimension. You need to be in the land of Israel in order to appreciate Torah at its greatest and most pristine level. <laughs> that's what he, that's his claim. Now, Harambam would tell us, I think he told us in the More several weeks ago, if you recall, that when we're in the land and we're governing the land and doing it appropriately, our minds are most clear we are most capable of interpreting the words. So he might say it like that. Rav Kook will say it in a metaphysical sense. Now, Harambam actually applies this in a famous place, not in the Moreh, this sort of concept when Harambam talks about restoring what's called Semicha. We've talked about this in other classes in the past, but without getting into it, you know, the idea of having an authority to make certain judgments um, is, is what's called simicha. You know, We talk about rabbis having semicha, which at one point was envisioned as going all the way back to when Moshe even conferred that power to Yehoshua, he put his hands upon him. And uh, Harambam, the Gemara describes that as having been lost and Harambam says, but you can restore it and bring with it the halachic authority to, to deal with certain cases um, if you have the majority of Chachmei Israel in the land of Israel, it's this mysterious line. Where did already come up with that, but something along these lines as well, once you have that sort of critical mass in the land of Israel, which so to speak is where you're supposed to be, add to it the metaphysical and the psychological dimensions, that's where things can and will work, so to speak, the way they should be working. Can uh, uh, continues Rav Kook says Sha'az tashuv torash ba'al pele etana lefi hakarat bedin hagadol based on the understanding of Sanhedrin of the Supreme Court rules. That's when we'll be able to again restore and apply Torah to us. Hayyashem, Ma sheyeh parashem when the Sanhedrin is in the place where God chose, meaning in Lishkata Gazit next to the Mikdash. Al kol davar shei palei la mishpat ve'az anu beturim she torah da hadashat and as a result, any issue which will arise will be injected with the sanctity and wisdom of Din Hagado Kodesh Israel Hashem. Okay. If in a generation where there's Sanhedrin, there's a question about any line in the Torah, it doesn't seem ethical, moral to our generation to apply this law. Shelefi Musage, or to, to, well, to apply, based on the traditional interpretation until now, Musage ha based on the ethics of that generation. Based on the ethics of that generation, that place, those people, that society, you'll have to in turn interpret. Differently the law. As <laughs> if the Betin Hagadol will in turn determine this is not appropriate and we should have it practiced differently, they will based on, again, he's speaking spiritually, God's implanting of absolute potential into this Torah, they will find a def- different interpretation to those Pesukim in the Torah. Mm-hmm. You might already understand where we're only going with this. Ha-gadol. What's that? Only Betin beti Hagadol for haramba Well... Only, only for for Avkuk for Beitinah. The Haskamot Me'oraot, Im Koach Beitinu, Drishat Me'kra. Ya'hadinam Dvarim, Shemiz Daminim B'Mikre. Now, where he again extends his spiritual vision of this. This didn't just. This doesn't happen coincidentally. This isn't. We got lucky and we found an interpretation to the Torah. Says Haravbam Kimhem Otiot Ha'Makimot Me'ora Shel Torah Ve'Amitah Torah Shva'al Pei She'Anu Hayavim Lishmoa La'Shofet Ha'She'Yebayamim Ha'hem Ve' Hit there is no deficiency, there is no development which was so to speak unforeseen and not implanted at the very inception of Torah what Rav Kook is telling us, and then he warns us at the end, if you think you're going to do this before we're in the land of Israel fully, before we have Sanhedrin, you are, and here he's probably um, dealing with the uh, reformed thoughts and uh, reconstructionist thoughts and so forth. Says Rav Kook, you can't, and that's a terrible thing. Rachmana However, in principle, Torah in Rav Kook's thought is and was handed to us with that potential to interpret its words, divine words, based on the ethics and morality of each generation. Now, this is not a, it is definitely a a revolutionary statement, but it's not without sourcing. In the past, maybe last year and the year before, I gave many classes in the context of this sort of thought. Potential with regards to envisioning the words and concepts of Torah. But just one of many sources you can point to is the Gemara Talmud Yerushalmi here, this Midrash in source number seven. If the Torah was given hatucha, if it was sliced, it was cut, we wouldn't have something to stand on. Our foot would have nothing to stand on. What, what does that mean? Well, he, the Midrash goes on to say, and for that reason, God told Moshe, hatot, go based on majority rule. However, there are 49 angles one way and 49 angles the other way. You'll have 49 ways of, of claiming this case is tahor and 49 that it's tameh. How are we going to know what it means? Go based on majority rule. What was that statement? There's no leg to stand on if we had it sliced. If there was only one interpretation, if there wasn't absolute potential to Torah, this Midrash is telling us, in each generation we'd get stuck. We wouldn't be able to apply the Torah to our context, to our contours and reality. The Torah therefore was purposefully, in a divine sense, implanted with absolute potential to the extent that you and I, if we were in Sanhedrin, could and would and have the ability and responsibility to interpret the Torah according to that generation's reality. The suggestion in turn, and you know, just, I I love to mention in this context, Ramban in a very mysterious and cryptic uh, introductory uh, uh, paragraphs to the Torah. He writes the following, he says, the entirety of the Torah is the name or names of God. The bet of Bereshit to the Lamed of Yisrael, the first letter to the last letter, can and should be read all as one stretched, long, elongated name of God. He says, and what that means is, it's for that reason, if the Sefer Torah is missing even one letter, it's Pasu, you're missing part of the name of God. He says, what I mean to tell you, and he gives one or two examples, is we can slice the words in the Torah in different ways, even though it looks like Bereshit, but I it's based on the spacing that we provided to it, based on the infinite potential, so to speak, it can be sliced in all sorts of different ways, rendering all sorts of different interpretations. You understand that's an extreme example of everything we're discussing. He's not per se talking about in the context of halakha, of normative law, but he is mentioning and explaining to us his vision of Torah as one which can and will be interpreted truthfully with emet. Elu va'elu Elohim ha'im, in any and every circumstance, based on a genuine pursuit of interpretation, based on a sensitivity to the context and contours of the time. That in turn is the suggestion with regards to these words of Bam. Let's bring it all together now only then, only with, only with a Sanhedrin. However, the suggestion goes as follows. The Torah, at its inception, not long after, but not too long after a society, a generation which had laws such as Hammurabi's Code, where ayin tahat ayin mamash, where an eye for an eye was just, was moral, was part of the general ethics of that larger global society of that time, was and was interpreted and accepted very possibly in the absolute literal sense much as Rabili Azar the individual who so to speak is tapping into the Torah min ha-shamayim, tapping into a different domain of Torah not the one that's practical and relevant to you and me but rather some other emet well, he's, so to speak, tapping into it and describing to us a truth which once existed and was appropriate for that generation. As time went on, however, Chachmei Israel Sanhedrin noticed and realized that our interpretation, our law systems, we as human beings, humanity and society in its larger sense, has developed in different ways and directions than were perhaps foreseen initially by human beings. And therefore, looking into the Torah, those words ayin tahat the rabbis in Masechet Bavakama at great length explain to us the creative ways of interpreting that word, those words in the Torah, of suggesting that's what the words, so to speak, do mean. Do they mean that now as opposed to then? Is this one true and that one wrong, that one right and this one wrong? or alternatively, has there been, will there be, a development of interpretation, a development of interpretation, which is a responsibility of lo vashamayimi, which is what we're supposed to be doing. The suggestion in turn perhaps is, as Harambam told you, this is the responsibility of Sanhedrin. This is to a certain extent our responsibility. It's just too dangerous to empower you and me, certainly to empower me with this sort of authority. I'll just be getting in fights with everyone, with my own wild and extreme interpretations. we have Sanhedrin authority. But that's what you're supposed to be doing. Harambam at the beginning, instead of telling us that is what was done, there's a certain inherent danger in saying that. That kind of hands the keys to anyone who says, as Abiy said earlier, you need to narrow this to Sanhedrin. Otherwise, I mean, we could very quickly and swiftly see the loss of any tradition whatsoever. Everyone will have their own interpretation. There'll be anarchy, it'll be crazy chaos. As a result, what Harambam perhaps is saying is, I'll tie you face to face. If you can listen to my mouth, I'll explain to you how this works. Worked. It is an ayin tahat It was interpreted as mamash. It does now mean not mamash, rather mamon. Don't for a second think, however, that negates, and here's where we tap back into what we discussed last week, the concept of mamash. In other words, the concept of mamash still remains, but as a concept. It still remains to determine and to dictate to us a value. You should understand what you did. It's immoral, it's unethical for us to do that. Not only they not practical as Rabbeinu Sadia, it's the wrong thing today. You're not going to find any law system, aside for, I guess, Afghanistan and those types, who are actually going to do something of this sort any longer. And that's for thousands of years. As a result, the interpretation is a true interpretation, which says Mamon. It's a godly interpretation, not godlike. godly, divine interpretation. It was implanted with that potential from its giving. That perhaps is what Haram Bam is implying to us in that context. Yes, Abi? We can't, I don't think we could say that it took till to the Sanhedrin to interpret it as mamun. Uh, there's no way it took uh, 1,500 years or whatever it is till the Sanhedrin came along. Uh, it had to be somewhat before. I don't know how we could think that this. this uh, At what specific? stage? I don't know, but I, I definitely can believe that it didn't take all that time. Finally, I mean, you're saying that for that. Would have until fifteen hundred years. we were taking the guys eye out. I don't. No. I, I. don't know. I mean, I. I what I'm suggesting. What Rabbi Bazak is you're suggesting. At whatever. Sanhedrin. Yeah, but Sanhedrin. We had in, in the in the in the rabbinic tradition of sorts. Yeah. We had that in Parashat Beha'alotecha yeah. when Moshe uh, gathered uh, seventy years already. Sanhedrin. Yeah. Uh, it is true. We did see those words in Rav Cook Sanhedrin in its place. That's once you have a place for it. Now, do I think? I have no way of proving this. Do I think that shortly after Moshe's life, this was, I don't know per se. I do think those were the ethics. That was the morality of the time, and it did continue. I think when it shifted, I think it was a clear notion and understanding to the leadership of the generation whom we're referring to as Sanhedrin, as it probably was to a certain extent or full extent referred to at that time to reinterpret or to otherwise interpret it means then, just bring us full circle in terms of methodology and philosophy of Harambam it means that so much so are human beings, are we, empowered with authority better yet, responsibility with regards to Torah, with regards to relationship with God that His very words handed to us were potent they were filled with power. They were packed with the opportunity to interpret them based on our genuine interpretations and understandings of every generation. I want to just finish with one last point, however, and that was just as Shabbat, that was my favorite example, and there's much more to say in that context. Just as Shabbat, eve for Bam, he kind of came to a, to a, to a wall over there, as much as he said, everything's injected with our Kiddush, Shabbat, it's not our Kiddushah per se, God, but we add to it, we kind of couple, we hold hands with him in that context. We say Kiddush and bring forth that hikdash. but we're tapping into a reality which was there from him and with him. It's, it's so, so too, existentially, it's so too with Torah. Torah is his words. Torah are, is the is, is is the is the code handed to us by him. So it means the interpretation as Rav Cook poetically and beautifully interprets and determines this. It is and was willed by God, so to speak, that you and I, as Sanhedrin members, interpret it accordingly. So, yes, you and I are empowered. But does that mean we're empowered? Because this is a mistake. I remember the first time teaching the more, many men began to make. They kept saying, so you're saying we don't really need God in any of this. No, quite the opposite. I'm saying this is a power invested to us and into us with the authority and partnership with God. Much as Shabbat was, so too Torah in this context. is. It, 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 yes, but again, in other words, but we're understanding this as not... Um, that, uh, let me put it in these words, in conclusion, conclusion, we're interpreting this not as there is no truth as a postmodern individual might say, so your truth is just as good as my truth. No, we're not suggesting that. There's a danger, of course, we can all understand in such an interpretation. Instead, we're saying the Torah as God's words, as God's work was given to us to interpret, if we do this genuinely, if we do this in the proper context, with the proper structure, with the right intention, to tap into what his words were, what his words are, we are, so to speak, revealing that Kiddushah of Shabbat in the words of the Torah, if you understand the analogy. That, in my mind, is perhaps an angle for interpreting these words of Harambam. Again, the words of Harambam, which he already called our attention to. I'm saying something controversial, but I'm not actually telling you it. I'm saying something more than just ideal and real. That's certainly going to be where we're left at the end of all this. We're suggesting this is and was a Torah which does develop an interpretation. But wait a second, what does that mean about the initial interpretation? Was that false? It wasn't false. We can look back at that and appreciate it for what it was, understand its impl- implications to us, even though we understand that's not the way we're practicing today. The Mashal, and I'm stepping into or opening a can of worms over here, I'm aware of that. The Mashal, the analogy in this context is Korbanot, to appreciate what Korbanot were, and to appreciate in turn what they might imply to us today is something I think we can wrap our heads around. We could maybe wrap our heads around what it meant emotionally, psychologically, once upon a time for a person to slaughter an animal and sacrifice, and we can then say, well, I'm not sure exactly how that would play out today in the practical sense, in the psychological, the emotional sense, but I can appreciate that as an experience. I can appreciate that as something which impacted the person and in turn say, oh, that's a healthy emotional bond to God. The way in which they went about it, Bamutai, wasn't an ideal way, but that's what they were getting to. That was an ideal. I'm suggesting that in this context as well. The ayin tahat ayin concept then, the Hammurabi code vision, is one which is not negated by the Torah. You poked out someone's eye, you understand how severe that was? Your eye should be poked out, but not really. You should just understand how severe that was. And uh, as a result, uh, is, is the, is the ultimate interpretation in the last several thousand years, as Abe wants me to be clear uh, about. But in the initial stages, it wasn't false, per se, the application in the literal sense. That was in line with the ethics and morals of a generation and society um, back then. Uh, to summarize and to finish it then in a sentence, Harambam here in the More brings us further along, in my mind, the same track, the same trail he's been blazing for us throughout and that is responsibility. The ability we have as human beings adherents, interpreters of the Torah to interpret it based on our understanding in a genuine sense. It's the creation which we bring about through His words tapping into their truths and applying them to our lives.